Welcome to the Founders for Good podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Turner. Join me as I speak to the most inspirational founders of four good startups, the people that are leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues. I explore their journey as founders and their best kept secrets on how to grow a four good startup and how to hire top people. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Molly Johnson-Jones is the co-founder and CEO of Flexa, the company leading the flexible working movement. Molly was diagnosed with autoimmune disease and told by a doctor she needed to work from home at least one day a week. And when she asked that from her then employer, they fired her the next day. Since then, Molly's made it her mission to make flexible working accessible to everyone and ensure that companies are upfront and transparent about their working environments. Flexa certify companies and grade them based on their level of flexible working then promote these companies on their platform to talent around the world looking for flexible work. In this episode, Molly shares more about her personal journey, pivoting from job board certification, raising funding from female investors, and how flexible working has helped them build a diverse team at Flexer. Hey Molly, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I always like to start off the show with just some kind of background and context on the guest. So I just wondered if you could chat a little bit about your kind of life pre-flexor, anything that may be relevant to what led you ending up in kind of the, the flexible working space. Very, very broad uh, question for me specifically. I've had a very sort of varied uh, career, I guess. Um, so when I left university, I went straight into investment banking, I think is a lot of students tend to go into uh, once they go into the graduate world um i went into exit research and did that for a couple of years and then um like my first role i actually got made redundant because they cut the equities division my second role i then got sacked because i have an autoimmune disease it meant that i had to work from home one day a week and that was not tolerated within investment then i went into um a company that was like sort of supermarket data retail when I was the head of food retail research so then started moving like sort of across the um world of research I suppose and left that one voluntarily it wasn't such an overdone <laughs> um, and then I went into uh, strategy consulting um like, that role was made redundant and then I went into 11FS uh, which is actually one of our now client companies um and loved it there super flexible and I was a strategy consultant there as well and left voluntarily. So I think I probably proved that lots of founders don't necessarily have pretty linear career paths. Um and maybe it's just also that I was not the best employee in the world and was always meant to work for myself. <laughs> I mean two things I want to pick up on there. So out of all of that, the one that actually offered flexible working was the one you left. <laughs> uh, and then Yeah. Um I guess second point is going back to the the one where they made you redundant. Um, I mean, can you share like how did yeah. that conversation go down? Like, did they actually quite explicitly say what the reason was, or they just hide it under some other reason? But you deep down know exactly what they're they're doing there. Yeah, I mean, they can, you can never really say that's the reason. Um, so I asked back from home one day a week because I'd been unable to walk about once a week, and it wasn't that I couldn't work; it's that I couldn't get into an office. Obviously, like long hours, very stressful job working 14, 16 hours a day doesn't really help when you're chronically sick. So I asked to work from home one day a week and they sent me to an occupational health therapist, a doctor, basically, um, who recommended that I be classified as disabled um, to protect me from something like that happening. So luckily he did that. 
Um, and then I was brought into a meeting 10 days later, a settlement package was, was in front of me. Um, I was told I was underperforming and totally immediately. So, and that was, I was on promotion at that same time as well. So it was quite a shock um, that I went into that meeting. I was only, only 23. I think you kind of blame yourself. Um, but it got me out of investment banking and ultimately it was kind of the catalyst for Morris and I starting Flexer as well. Um, was that awareness of the fact that the world of work can be so inaccessible to some people if there's no flexibility. Yeah, and I think the real sad thing is that I'm sure people will listen to that story and it will probably um, resonate with them. Like, I think a lot of people have experiences like that, sadly. Um, and to kind of talk about the topic of flexible working, just again, generally, before we jump into flex specifically, um, it'd be really helpful actually to hear your definition of like what flexible working is. I think it's a really important question for people to be asking, because I think the lack of definition for flexible working has actually held its growth back quite significantly. Because you can't say exactly what it is. So like how do how do companies achieve it, how do they offer it? So we've spent a very long time, two and a half years now, um, collecting enormous amounts of data to quantify and define what flexible working is. And it's not one thing, it is a spectrum, in my opinion, anyway. And the data also suggests that what different people will call flexible working, whether you're an employee or a candidate or whether you're a company, is so varied. And to give an idea of kind of where that spectrum starts and finishes, what we see is that the minimum level of flexibility to be offered for it to be called actually flexible working is regular working from home at least one or two times a week, you know, without having to give a justification or a reason. You just access that. And a small level of flexibility around hours, maybe half an hour around start and finish times. And that is the kind of very base of what we would call flexible working. And then that goes all the way up to the other end of the spectrum where it's you can work from wherever you want. There's an enormous amount of choice in that. You could go into the office, but there's no obligation. You could travel the world and work there. There's no rules on location and hours. You could be working asynchronously. You choose your own hours. You work how you want, along with benefits, which I think have always kind of been ignored when it comes to defining flexibility. But somebody's version of flexibility could be that they really want to be able to bring their dog to the office when they do go in, and that adds flexibility to their lives. Or you could be a parent and want to spend more time with your children and so obviously there'll be benefits around that that will add more flexibility to your lives as well whether that's enhanced family leave or enhanced annual leave and all of those things we bring into that definition as well um which is kind of why we built two indices that measure that rather than having one sentence definition because i think that that means that the nuance fits lost um because one person's version of flexibility could be totally different to another's 100% agree and I think the problem now is there's so many different terms out there like people some people think just remote working is like flexible but then in some other people it's flexible hours or like you said taking a dog to work or for me it seems to be more about giving people options and, and actually being really clear and upfront about what those options are within your business because companies can't do absolutely everything so you just have to be honest with what you do offer and try and give people as much choice as possible. Yeah exactly and I think that's what's gonna gonna really change the way that we look at jobs in the market over the next sort of three to five years because it used to be that you know if you're looking for a job as a product manager or as an engineer you would go on the traditional job platform and you just click apply on all of those that seem to suit what you're interested in and your pay whereas now when you have people looking for jobs a remote product manager a hybrid product manager and an in-office product manager are three different roles and people will not apply to all three of them they'll only choose one of those 
So companies are going to have to provide more and more information up front to allow people to make an educated decision about whether it's right for them. Makes sense. And in terms of like the current situation or like the current state of flexible working, like what, what are the biggest challenges right now? Is it that companies struggle to explain what they do offer and they actually do offer quite good flexibility? Is it um, they're just not very flexible? Like what are some of the key yeah, barriers you're seeing at the moment to people getting flexible work? There are so many. Um, so let's start with let's start with the companies that don't offer it. And I think that like you and me will live and work in a world where it's like a bit of a flexible bubble. Like it feels alien to hear of companies that don't offer it at all. You know, when you are so subscribed to all the benefits, believe it, it works. Um, but we're seeing more and more companies sending their employees back into the office five days a week. Um, so first of all, there's that and around. 35% of companies, when we obviously benchmark and we put them through these processes, 35% of companies fail. Um, that could be because they're in the office five days a week. That could be because if you want any form of flexibility, you have to go through a really long request process to access it, um, which obviously doesn't really send the signal of flexibility. It sends that as being the exception, sends the message of that being an exception to the rule. Um, or people only being able to work from home if they've got a delivery or a doctor's appointment or they're taking their dog to the vet, you know. Those kind of justifications are real pitfalls for companies at the moment. Um, I think also the hiring process that we've seen for like the last 20 years has been very like everything's kind of kept to interview process or kept until the office stage when suddenly all of these benefits and the ways of working are unveiled. And that just doesn't cut it anymore with the amount of research that people will do before they apply and with what they want to know is is this the right environment for me and i think a lot of companies haven't quite gotten comfortable with that and being very open and being very transparent so that people can self-select i think the best way to put it is like it used to be when you were hiring that you wanted to appeal to everyone you wanted everyone to work for you you know you wanted to get hundreds and hundreds of applications and it wouldn't matter if they were a good fit or not you just wanted all those people to work for you whereas now what you want is actually for your job description or for your company page or for your ways of working to put some people off because you know it's not one size fits all you want people to go yes this is a great working environment for me and i think that adjustment period can be quite scary for some companies of like oh i'm going to get fewer applications i'm going to get less interest but it's going to be a better match um and I think also a lot of the like traditional platforms and some of the more traditional recruiters haven't adapted to that either. They're still not giving up the amount of information that candidates want to find a new role. And I think that's just a pretty seismic shift that's ultimately companies and the platforms that exist are going to have to adapt to over the next few years. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that still happening. Um, when it comes to the pandemic and obviously that, you, you know, Flexor was a, pre-pandemic kind of business and then pandemic shifted ways of working quite dramatically like do you see that as helping the flexible working movement hindering it in a different way or is it just like a different paradigm where it's like well actually there was a shift to remote but now a lot of them are starting to go back to the office anyway and it wasn't really about flexible working it was more of like a forced situation on people it's a, yeah, a good way of framing it i think it's a mixture of everything so i think it for companies that went remote during the pandemic as they had to and then they but they were really well equipped you know with tech Culturally, they accepted it, they encouraged it. Then they got the good side of it. You know, they got more productivity, more happiness, more engagement, and they've been the ones that have kept to a degree of flexibility. And that has obviously really helped the movement because maybe some of those companies, if they hadn't been forced into it, they wouldn't have realized the benefits. But I also think that because 
it can be seen as just like this event in isolation. You know, when you hear about like Sir Alan Sugar or JP Morgan CEO or Goldman Sachs CEO, like this is an aberration and a blip and it cannot continue. I think it's very easy for senior leadership to kind of deny the fact that this is a better way of working because they say, oh, but this wouldn't have happened before. Um, and I think the thing is, is, yes, in their minds, that could be the case. But millions and millions of people have experienced this and they don't want to go back. So while there'll be a bit of friction for a while, I think ultimately the pandemic and remote working has helped it because now between 73 and 78% of people that would be doing a traditional office role globally want flexibility and they're looking for it. So the companies that offer it are going to be rewarded, supply and demand, right? So eventually that will force the shifts towards more companies taking it up and, and sticking with it. Um, so I think it's going to be a bit, it's going to be messy for a couple of years, but I think after that we will end up in a world of work where, you know, probably about half of companies offer genuine flexibility. They hire more easily. They have happier people. They're rewarded. Um, and then the companies that don't offer it, they're going to have to pay more, or they're going to have to offer more progression. Like there's going to be have to be some sacrifice in order to continue the in office five days a week or in flexible hours or whatever. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, when I think as a tech recruiter speaking to candidates, I'd say maybe five percent of that want to be based in the office five days a week. And I'd say there's maybe like a twenty thirty percent that want fully remote. But then there's actually a massive chunk in the middle want some kind of like hybrid model. If it's once a week, once a fortnight, um, and with the tech market especially being so candidate driven, like companies have to follow the candidate once, otherwise, like you said, they just end up having to pay really high salaries or do other extreme things to attract these people. Um, cool. So let's chat about Flexa then for a little bit. Um, for anyone listening that hasn't come across Flexa, could you just explain like what you do, what Flexa is? Absolutely. Um, so we are a platform that started in February of 2020. And the simplest way of explaining what we are is that we are the global directory for verified flexible companies. So a bit like when you go on Airbnb and you want a countryside cottage with a hot tub where you can bring your children, you'll put those filters on and all of those properties will come up. Users will come to us, they'll put their filters on for their perfect company and they, all of their perfect matches will come up or it could be roles as well. So you can say marketing and then dog-friendly, hybrid, three to four days a week from home and flexible hours. All of those will come up naturally from the user side. From the company side, the best way of explaining it is that we sit at the very top of the hiring funnel. So traditionally, hiring has been very much about reactive hiring. You have a job. You want people to apply. You're effectively trying to convert cold leads. They haven't heard of you before. It might be quite difficult unless the job is amazing or we pay an amazing salary or you're a well-known company. Whereas we go one level up um, to help companies to get discovered for their working environments and get seen by hundreds of thousands of people. So it's a bit like top of funnel marketing in the sense of building an engaged pipeline of very diverse people because flexibility lends itself to inclusivity, which obviously builds diversity. That means the companies eventually find it easier to hire, they get better matches, um, and ultimately it becomes cheaper as well because you've got loads of people sitting there wanting to work for you. But we saw this shift happening as candidates were just consuming more and more information about what they wanted in a company, but there was nowhere to go to find that out reliably. Um, and obviously with my experience being sacked, because whilst I'm flexible working, it was a mission that really resonated with me. So we started building. And it's, it's one of those things like you hear and just think great product. And it's almost like, like all great products, how does this not already exist? But uh, obviously now it does. <laughs> um, 
it'd be good to take you back to the early days. Um, so you'd had some mixed slash pretty poor experiences in the workplace with flexible working. I believe your co-founder Morris had the opposite, actually, like fairly positive experience in the flexible working space. And like you said earlier, kind of in that bubble, thinking that was the norm. How did you go from those experiences and kind of the, the having this concept to actually like first version of a product and starting to validate that concept? It's like, when I try to explain it, it doesn't really make any sense even to me. Um, so Morris and I had the idea in July 2019 in the pub, drinking a cider. And Morris is like, Bear Witch was super flexible before it was normal. He was thinking about leaving. So then we were chatting and he's like, it's so difficult to find out where it's going to let me work from home a couple of days a week. He's from Dublin, so he'd go back there pretty often and he had like a really nice balance. Um, I was like, well, welcome to my life. It's like absolutely impossible. <laughs> um, you just don't know what you're going to get until you go through all of these interview processes and you waste both parties' time. Um, so we thought there must be a better way of doing it. So both Morris and I are operators. Um, rather than builders um and so we couldn't build the actual website so then we incorporated the business of company's house which is an unusual first step to make because we didn't have a business but we didn't know what else to do so we did that (laughs) um and then put an advert out on angel list to find a cca um and see if someone was interested in building this with us which is where thank god we found tim who's our third co-founder um who's an absolutely amazing uh, developer and he's built everything himself um, up until about two weeks ago when we had a second developer join. Um, so we set to work. I had it in my head what I sort of wanted it to be. Tim created it. We ended up with a bit of an MVP. Um, but obviously when it comes to anything in the kind of hiring space, you have to have both sides of the market. You have to have your companies and you have to have your users. Um, and so we managed to get some trial companies on while building a waiting list of users before we'd actually launch the site. So when we first launched, I think we launched about 1,000 users and 10 companies at that point. Um, and it snowballed from there, really. More and more people, more and more companies started to monetize and raise our first pre-seed round in September of 2020. Um, yeah, and then kind of moved to, to where we are today with now 13 people employed. Lovely. And I believe that like any good product, there's been iterations. Like how was the how was the like kind of version one product look compared to what it is today? From an actual like functionality perspective, we've evolved enormously as well. Um when we first launched. We were we were a job platform. Um we found companies that offer flexibility and we posted their roles and then people applied to those roles. Um it's very, very different now so we saw an opportunity in the fact that about half of people aren't necessarily actively looking for a specific role to move into yes some people are of course and we still have the functionality to be able to do that but ultimately what the need that needed to be served was for people to find the right working environment for them, not necessarily a role at that specific point um we thought that it's way more important that we are transparent and open with the information that people are trying to find so they could be in a recruitment process with a recruiter or a company or applying on LinkedIn or Total Jobs or Otter or anywhere else. And they're coming to Flexi to check that information. And we saw being the source of truth when it came to working environments as a much more interesting product than being another job platform. Not because there's no place for job platforms. There is. Um, and I obviously wouldn't be saying that to you. <laughs> <laughs> Jobs to begin, I'd be like, no, it's terrible. Um, no, it was just, 
an interesting idea for us to test was to move up the funnel away from specific applications and more towards awareness and discoverability. Um, and we started testing that by doing it for ourselves when we were hiring rather than focusing on specific jobs and it works amazingly. Um, so that was when we pivoted the whole business towards competing a little bit more with the likes of Glassdoor um, or social media rather than um, job platforms like Indeed or Twitter jobs. Got it. And, and timeline-wise, when, when roughly was this that you decided to focus purely on the flexification? Pivot uh, about March 2021. So we'd been live for out of beta for about six months, that was it. And then we made the very scary decision when we were about to start fundraising to cover the business. <laughs> but it's all worked out for the best. Um, it has, yes. It was definitely a right, a right pivot to make. And we, I was going to ask about how the flexification works, but you did cover that earlier and talked about like some of the data points you look at. So uh, my questions are going to be actually like, how how long has it taken you to, to kind of get to the point where you have that algorithm that for flexification built like how long did that process take are you are you continuously evolving that and secondly like how then do you validate those things with a customer because i guess it could be easier customer say yeah we offer all these things but they may yeah. not actually do that yeah oh yeah plenty of people lie um, so it took us to get enough data for it to be to start to be accurate it took us about six months um now we've got millions of data points which is great it allows us to pretty uh, accurately quantify exactly what flexibility is and to be able to give weightings based on how the market changes and what candidate demands are. Um, so for us to get to that point, it probably yeah, has taken us two years, um, but it's been working well for about 18 months of those. We collect all of that data from all the surveys that we do, like YouGov surveys. We collect data from all of our users, which have got half a million users, and they obviously tell us through their search preferences and onboarding what they want. Um, and so yeah, we've we managed to get it to the point where it was working and now it's now it's pretty streamlined. But we update it every month based on all of the new data and the trends that we see. So it's very accurate when it tells people how they score versus market globally as well. Um because we first launched in the UK, but now we're in 70 different countries. 72, I think. Um and then from a how do you know if people are just saying it? Very good point. So the flexification process is actually like two stages. So the first one, we do rely on what companies tell us. And that's the first indication of whether they are kind of good enough to pass um, and are flexible enough. But if a company wants to achieve flexification, have that accreditation and be on the platform, they have to go through the second stage, which is where we very briefly, and I don't like saying survey because survey sounds like really long and onerous with loads of free text, but We've effectively done this like one minute multiple choice um, survey, for lack of a better word. That's we ask a statistically significant sample of an of a company employee base to take to check whether what has been said is actually the case. Um, it's really, really effective. You can see immediately you know, where the drops are, where things can be improved. We provide all of those insights. And we have had companies pass one and fail another. Um, but that's why it's yeah, yeah. very glad to be able to catch it there. And then we we then publicise all of that data, uh, obviously anonymous and completely aggregated, um, on company pages, so people can see how they've scored. So it's um it's been a really cool thing to to design and build. And I think to your, one of your first questions, which was like, how do you define what flexible working is? I'm delighted that we found a way to do it in a quantifiable and pretty objective way. 
Yeah, super interesting. And I think that one of the big proof points is that not everyone gets through. Like if it was something so easy that everyone could pass and it's almost meaningless. So the fact I think you said 35% that take it fail the, the test yeah. says a lot. Um, and then so once yeah. someone gets approved, like what happens next? They they get the score, mm-hmm. they get their like branded up page on the website. Yep. And then they then they go live. So they'll be appearing in like, gosh, upwards of 25 to 30,000 searches every single month. People are bookmarking those pages, saving, engaging, um, going through to their careers page or ACSs. We then provide all of that in a big like ROI dashboard so you can see how people are engaging, where they're looking, what, what people want, along with all of the diversity stats as well. Um, and so that's the nice, easy, passive employer brand building side of things where you have to be a sit on flexor and you get all of those views and saves. And then we also um, do the kind of multi-channel employer brand marketing. So we know that users aren't just looking at Flexa, they're looking at all social media platforms. Um, that's why they're engaging. So then we do content collaborations for our Flexify companies across all platforms, through webinars, blogs, TikTok videos, um, LinkedIn features, etc., uh, which has a massive benefit to all of those platforms and SEO as well. So you're basically getting getting companies in front of everywhere that a candidate can possibly be looking if you're listening and thinking, I'd love to work for a company like this, then you need to go to www.jobsforgood.io, where they have the best jobs in four good companies. From climate change to social impact to green transport, you will be able to find the perfect job for you. Trust me. Check it out, www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things I love about Flexible is like how engaged the community feels. Like one, you you're leading this movement of flexible working, but two, you have this really engaged, two-sided like coin of, of the candidates actually wanting obviously the flexible working options, and then also the the companies. Um, ha- I mean, uh, how has that happened? Like, is is it a case of the topic itself is naturally something that ties a lot of people together, or is it just a ton of work behind the scenes of of collaborating and and just making it like really easy for companies to work with you on content? bit of both i think yeah we've made the process very streamlined and we've shown the upside of doing it like we'll provide all of the stats on engagement and views and how much that then um helps to building an employer brand but i also think like a lot of people that really care about flexible working they like they really care like they want people to enjoy the benefits of it and i think that does bring people together is that kind of awareness of how much better life can be if you're afforded some choice and some freedom um, and I think it's a very interesting topic. Like, I think the world of work and the world of recruitment outside of looking at, you know, working environments or flexibility or purpose or culture, like all of that other stuff is quite dry. And so often people like to get involved and share pictures of them traveling and working at the same time or their dogs or their children. And it's bringing life into the world of work, which hasn't really happened before. Um, so I do think that that really helps build the community. I also think. People are very proud of achieving an accreditation of flexible working because it's not an easy thing to do. And what goes on behind the scenes in a company to create a genuinely flexible working environment with a great culture. It's a lot of work. And so people want to show it off and kind of exhibit to candidates and employees that they really are a great place to work because they've got all of this time. Yeah, yeah. All makes complete sense. Um to talk about funding for a little bit. So two funding rounds, obviously recently just closed off a really big one, 2.3 million seed rounds. Um, congratulations. Um, 
and like one I know as being someone who works a lot of startups you don't see many in the recruitment tech space like it's just a hard space to get funding in but secondly the bigger milestone is actually that more than half of the the funding the capital came from female investors um so questions would be was that always the plan in terms of who you want to raise money from and like what was the process of achieving that yeah I'll be honest and say no it wasn't always the plan um I wish it was but I don't I didn't know enough to know that there was such a problem um when it came to representation on both sides of the table I think when I first when we decided to start Flexit we had never been in the startup world we didn't know what it all involved you barely even know what fundraising is like what do you do you go you go to some often men with a desk and you're like do you want to give us some money um that's a weird process in itself and I think I was I learned one hell of a lot when we were raising our pre-seed round um but what it taught me was that it's not a very easy place for women to succeed regardless of which side of the table you're on whether you're a female founder obviously all of the data shows that we get such a minority of the funding um all female founded teams is like 1.6 percent of the funding and then mixed is like 9.8 or something like it's small um and then i started realizing that like i'd never met female VC investors which is weird um and then i started thinking more and more about it and looked at some of the experiences that i'd had raising money um in our pre-seed round like morris and i used to do the the calls together for a while um we don't do that anymore um but when we did first start so we did the course together I would answer a question and they would talk back to him as if I hadn't even spoken um ended up in some like not very nice conversations a few times where I was asked completely different questions like very preventative like usually this is going to work very like concerned about risk and then Morris has asked the ones about growth and opportunity and you know giving a opportunity to be able to paint an exciting picture whereas I was effectively just like bashing things away from me um and it's very hard to explain in a way that sounds as bad as it is and I often think that that's the case with anybody who's a minority in, in what they're doing and experiencing it's not one massive thing that happens you know I'm not told oh you're a woman so you're a rubbish founder like if that had happened that'd be a great story but it didn't um, <laughs> it's all of these smaller like microaggressions and just being treated slightly differently being reacted to slightly differently that compound into this feeling of not being very welcome and like you're being less successful um so once I started realizing that and started thinking like how can I solve that it was to lean into the female founded VCs and the female focused VCs um because they are actively looking for women to back because they realize how underrepresented we are we've also got women on the other side of the table so hopefully and often they were brilliant and you don't get those same reactions um and then I sort of with this seed round made it a bit of a mission to try and obviously I'm one one person and one startup I can't change a very very consistent but it's one small thing that you can do is to try and make sure that you're supporting female founded VCs and that you are conscious with who you're choosing as your investors as well um because I think diversity on both sides too was very important yeah definitely and then so I remember the article like when you raised funding and it coming out and I think Yes, it's like one step, but it's like one really big step. And I think it also shows people like what's possible as well. Like the more and more this happens, the more and more people realize that yeah. there is diverse funds out there. You you know, you don't have to go through these in, like experiences that you've had. And hopefully that will change 
the better like very soon um yeah what's the focus uh, focus for flexor then so you recently raised the seed for the seed rounds uh like what does the what are some of the big milestones planned for the next like year or two we've got some huge product iterations going on at the moment um everyone's working away changing like the accuracy of like search functionality all of the information so soon you'll be able to search companies by what's on offer in terms of like facility leave and days of annual leave like days in the office uh, whether there's like a crash on site whether someone works a four-day week like loads and loads of granularity in terms of the data we exhibit which is really exciting because that's where we wanted to get to but you obviously need just so much data and so much information to just be able to get that level of granular detail so that's one of the big ones that we launched um in the next few months uh, and then otherwise it's, it's massively growing our user base, um, across all of the geographies in the world that have a similar level of flexible working penetration to the UK. So if you look at like a lot of Western and Eastern Europe, the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, et cetera, et cetera, um, they all have you know, pretty good levels of flexible working and massive numbers of, of employees and potential candidates that want to access it. So geographical expansion is another, another huge one. But we don't have mad desires to go and pivot again and create something completely different. Like ultimately what we're what we're onto is something that will totally change the way that people think about moving between companies and totally change the way that companies think about hiring. So we just want to make that as good as physically possible and stay laser focused in that mission. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think that's great about Flexor is that it's so scalable, like in, in one market effectively any company could be on the Flexa platform. And secondly, there's nothing stopping that going to, like you said, other geographies. Um, so probably tease you up for my last kind of question on this segment, which is, um, you know, in 10 years time, et cetera, uh, if Flexa achieves everything that you hope it can and, and it does, like what does that world, what does that future look like? So if you think about the limitations that people currently have in terms of like global mobility, it's very hard to looking for a job in a different country to know what you're going to get um and it makes it feel all of that kind of blame mobility and moving and traveling and moving between companies feel very risky like one of the main reasons that people don't leave their roles is because they don't know what working environment they're going to get at another company and that to me seems a mad reason for someone not to leave a company you know the grass people always say like people think the grass is greener but what what if you know that it's better um, and so removing all of those to me nonsensical barriers to why people don't move companies, why they don't move countries, you know, and a more globally mobile world where the hiring process is actually transparent and it stops being something that ultimately is a bad process for like 90% of employees and 90% of candidates and like it might suit the employer, but ultimately you're trying to hire the best people and so removing all of those barriers and creating a transparent hiring process i think will benefit the world in turn um but i just want it to be easier for people to find their perfect working environment quite simply and i think if flexa goes the way that it does and we end up with millions of users and thousands and thousands of companies will have made a pretty significant impact on making it easy to find that right match yeah and and do you see do you think it could go as to be like the I feel like I guess B Corp, but like the B Corp for flexible working, like you're the globally recognized standard for flexible work. Yeah, that's exactly what I would hope that it would be. And that maybe even we get to a point where so many companies are flexible that you 
don't even have to necessarily get the accreditation. It's just that if you're not on Flexo, you're not flexible. Like our accreditation is the onboarding process and it's just that Flexo is that bank of brilliantly flexible companies to the extent that, you know, we compete more with the likes of Glassdoor, people trying to find information. Um, I would love the whole world to be totally flexible. I just don't really see it going that way. So at least we can try and cater to the maybe 50% of companies that will be. Yeah, love that vision. Um, and so let's talk to you a little bit about uh, your personal journey as a, as a founder. Um, so obviously you've co-founded the business um, with your partner, actually, which I'm sure you're kind of sick of being asked questions about. So I won't tell too much about it. But I just wondered, like, had you, had you both known each other for quite a while? before setting up or was it like a double risk where you hadn't actually known each other that much like that for that long but also co-founding a business with some anyone is a risky venture in itself we have been together as an inner relationship for 18 months when we started flexa but we didn't necessarily like make a conscious decision to like suddenly become co-founders together like yes we were starting a business and seeing where it went but we definitely didn't expect it necessarily to get here um so I think that that was why it felt like less of a risk because we didn't plan, oh, we're going into business together and we're going to be raising two and a half million pounds in a couple of years and employing 11 people that like we didn't think that. Um, I think that it is riskier in my mind to just co-found a business with somebody that you don't know. And we had a really interesting reaction from some investors, but they were like, I'm not investing in this because you're a couple. They were just like, no, absolutely not. Um, and then you make the case of like, but surely if you're just investing in two random people that don't know each other, then they've got no history of dealing with conflict, resolving issues, bouncing back when times are really difficult, whereas we did as a couple. Um, so I think that that was a good thing in some senses, but I think there's still a lot of stigma attached to it. Um, and when you read the sort of, case studies and stories of other couple founders like Clearbank and Canva, they say exactly the same thing. That there was a lot of suspicion and a lot of assumption that like you were a dangerous pair to back. Um whereas like you don't go in you don't found a business with your partner like lightly. You don't just, you don't just go, oh, yeah, well sure it'd be fine. You think about it and you think you're the right kind of people for it. Um we spent a long time thinking about that once so just to actually get serious. Our company, not our relationship. It was already serious. <laughs> yeah, like you said, I mean, regardless, actually, if you're a couple, you're just two people that have known each other for a long time, like if you're best friends or close friends, like sure, that's almost that's always going to be a less risky situation. Because I've worked with early stage startups where the founders haven't known each other for very long, and then actually, there's one in particular I'm thinking of. Yeah. There were three co-founders of one within a year left because it just the dynamic didn't work. Um, yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, Toughest and proudest moments so far? What would you say so far on the Flex journey? Like, what's been the, the proudest moment? What's been your, your toughest so far? Proudest moment? Um, it was probably closing this this funding round. Um, that was pretty a pretty awesome moment. And also hitting half a million users was also pretty amazing. Um, both happened around a similar time. So that was quite, quite a good time to be able to celebrate. Although I will be the first person to admit I'm not necessarily very good at celebrating success. I'm always like, no. what's the next thing? And what's the next thing? Um, which is not a great trade. <laughs> um, worst moment. There's no one standout, absolutely appalling moment. Um, but what I will say is that I think founding a startup and being a startup founder is like massively over glamorized. 
it's really hard. Um, and if someone were to tell you like everything that you had up ahead of you, I, th- I, th- I really would have thought twice about doing it, I think. Like it's such a sacrifice, especially when it, you're a couple and like it's not, I think family business as a couple is great. And I don't think that people's concerns around it were necessarily valid. But what I will say is if you're family business with your partner, like that's your entire future and your entire lives are fully intertwined. There is no escape. Like we can't get a mortgage. <laughs> like we're stuck because we're founders. Um, you know, your salary is tied to the business, your success is tied to the business, and your success and future is a couple of sides of the business too. And so I think sometimes when things are maybe not going to plan, as often they don't, um, that's probably what scares me the most. Yeah. But then failure just isn't an option. So you just keep going. True. And how do you how do you deal with those tough times that like you personally like? Do you speak to certain people? Is there just something you do that allows you to let off some steam and actually like process stuff and then come back into the situation? Um, I am not great at talking through things. I have a couple of people, um, one of our, well, actually they're both two investors, um, but one is also a founder and um, another one is an investor who has helped me kind of work through a lot of things. Um, That's really helpful having that sort of unofficial mentorship. But otherwise I think, I'll try and take a step away and like go and do some exercise and try and take my brain off of it because I think it's much easier to process when you're not actually actively thinking about the problem that's in front of you. And often if you go away for an hour or two, you come back with ideas of how to solve it and much less stressed and much less panicked. Um, so I always try not to immediately react in those situations and to try and take a bit of time out. And also work-life balance. I think that, you know, you really, if you trust LinkedIn, um it's always about the hustle and about you know you can't be a successful startup founder without working 16 hours a day i'm only productive properly productive like a maximum of about eight to ten hours a day um after that my brain is absolutely fried because i'm a very focused worker like when i'm working i don't even hear the stuff that's going on around me um and so making sure i'm super focused for eight to ten hours a day and then i take time to exercise cook walk the dog you know spend time actually doing stuff that isn't just startup because i think then you get very perceived um and you're actually less less able and a less good leader when when you're working all the time yeah 100 like having those boundaries in place so helpful um it's something i think everyone struggles with like i know i do um so Cool. Um, final final segment is just kind of growing a, a tech for good business. Um, so I think, do you say Flex is 13 people at the moment? Yeah. Um, but like generally when it's come to hiring, like what skills, traits, values have you have you focused on in bringing those people in? Yeah. Um, God, hiring. Hiring is hard. I think the biggest traits that we have looked for is a passion for what we're doing not necessarily the business itself but like you've got to care about flexible working to spend your entire day doing it um i think also the, one of the most valuable qualities that i think is really really underrated is, is being a generalist um and being able to pick up lots of things and run with it unless of course you have an incredibly specialist job in which case you do need to be a specialist um but we've hired people who may not have had exactly directly relevant experience, but they've been a proper generalist and able to pick stuff up and run with it. And they've been fantastic hires. And I think in a startup, generalism is like massively underrated um, because they're the people that are a bit like 
you who are going to help pick up everything and build a successful business because no one day is the same. So that's what we've often searched for um, when we're hiring people. Otherwise, it's very hard to say exactly what characteristics I would look for. I think it really depends on the person you meet and depends on the role. Yeah, that's that's fair. And the other thing when I was looking at the team was like really diverse team, which again, every startup talks about trying to do a lot, really struggle to achieve that. Like, how have you built this really diverse team? It is really hard. Um, we primarily, I think we've succeeded because of the level of flexibility that we offer. Um, and often people with disabilities or parents or you know, caring responsibilities, et cetera, um, want more flexibility. So we have been able to leverage that in order to build diversity in our team. But it's an ongoing effort. You know, it never, it never goes away. It has to be a focus at all times when you're hiring um, and making sure that you are, if there's two people in front of you and then equally as likely to be given the job, making sure that you are picking that diverse hire. I think it's a very important thing to be doing, but making sure also that you are present in places that aren't just a load of uh, middle-class white people. Yeah. <laughs> and I say that as a middle-class yeah, white yeah, person. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, like you said earlier about generalists, like super helpful, especially in the early stage of the startup. What's one higher, more, more like skill set really than yeah. a person, but like what's one skill set you've hired which has really changed it for Flex of taking something away from you or Morris or both of you that's like really helped the business grow? Having a very early on operations and partnerships manager, because in early stage startups, you're constantly being approached about partnerships. You're constantly trying to pick up various different operational bits and pieces. And just having somebody who takes that as a generalist and runs with it has been game changing. And Aqua, who we hired, um, she didn't necessarily have previous experience in that. She just came across incredibly capable, incredibly enthusiastic. And yeah, we just, we, uh, just promoted her actually. Um, she's only been here six months, but she's been amazing. So she's now our operations and partnerships lead. And I would thoroughly recommend any um, startup founder to get someone like that, whether it's a junior chief of staff, founders associate, operations manager, somebody who takes away some of the day to day from you. Is it was one of the best things you ever did. Really good advice. And when it comes to hiring, you, you mentioned like obviously everyone finds it really hard. Have you have you done like the, all the hires yourself directly? Have you used recruiters or like other channels? Like what's been really successful for you? Everything has been through Flexa. Uh, all about building an employer brand, being really transparent and flexibility. Um, and it worked. We have spent nothing, although if we'd have been on Flexa, it would have been a thousand pounds. We have spent nothing and hired eight roles in eight weeks in this hiring market. Smashed it. Um, which was a pretty awesome achievement yeah i think that's really rare as well and it just shows how well flexor works um cool so to wrap things up i guess i'm sure you'll be hiring like later in the year um or like throughout the year i mean if, if someone's yeah. interested in following the flex story or getting in touch when you are hiring like what's the best place to find you or, or reach out i'm always on linkedin um so follow flexor on linkedin or reach out to me on linkedin um or just come onto the flex website and you know we've still got one role open actually um and equally with companies as well, you'll be able to find loads of information about Flexor there and same with users. And it's all an open site, not behind a registration wall or anything. All the information is right there. So LinkedIn or the Flexor site. Perfect. Amazing. Well, Molly, thank you for joining us today. It's been much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode and leave us a review. We're just getting started out, so it would mean a lot to us. 
This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril Al-Sahimi and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.